Gospels from Luke chapter 1. I will read uh, verse 46 through 55. Hear the word of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this Sunday is the second Sunday in Advent, that four-week season in the church year preceding Christmas. There is a new tradition that assigns four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love, to the four weeks of Advent. And I've chosen to use those themes as the topics of my sermon during this Advent season. This week we come to peace. Certainly there is no more Christmassy theme than peace. Probably we think of peace at Christmas because of what the angels said to the shepherds in the field on the night that Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In scripture, that's the only mention of peace in connection with the birth of Jesus Well, that and a messianic prophecy that we often read uh, during Advent from Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are the only two mentions of peace in connection with the birth of Jesus. There is, however, a lot of Christmas carols that mention peace. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That carol is quoting Luke's gospel, of course. But one of the most familiar carols imagines Christmas peace extending to the very stillness of the night. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. And then there is in O Little Town of Bethlehem, the silence of the night is transformed into the silence of the birthing of baby Jesus himself. How silently, how silently. The wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. Now, I witnessed the birth of all three of my children 
And there was nothing silent about those experiences. Now, maybe my wife is a lightweight. Maybe she's got a low pain threshold. Maybe she's a complainer. I don't know. But I got to tell you, she made a lot of noise. And I'm sitting at the table trying to have a cup of tea while she's in the other room howling like the world is coming to an end. And then the babies, they were no sooner born than they're crying. And I'm thinking, what do you have to cry about, little kid? You've got no mortgage to pay. You've got no sermon to write. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. It makes you wonder about the guy who wrote this, Carol. And, of course, it had to be a guy. His name was Phillips Brooks. And, in fact, he wasn't just a guy. He was also a priest, the Bishop of Massachusetts, a man who died a bachelor. So no wonder he thought that the birthing business was silent. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Well, at least he got the wondrous part right. For reasons that are partly biblical and partly traditional... Peace has become a theme of Advent and of Christmas, but peace is not just an Advent theme. It really is a biblical theme. It shows up in 58 of the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. And so this morning I want to talk about this biblical theme, this Advent theme. I want to talk about peace I want to talk about two kinds of peace, peace with the world and peace with God. We talked about peace this week uh, in chapel at Valley Christian School. And the students were fascinating when I asked them about what's the opposite of peace. These are kids who are 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. I wasn't really sure what they thought or knew about peace. Of course, they know the word, but what's their experience with peace or with the absence of peace? When I asked them about the opposite of peace, they came up with words like distress, discomfort, disorder, discord. That kid, we gave extra credit for coming up with the word discord. They they listed tension and stress and doubt and frustration. They mentioned chaos and uncertainty and anxiety and fear. I was impressed. I got the sense that some of their young lives maybe have been influenced by things that are not so peaceful. A sermon about peace is, of course, also a sermon about the opposite of peace. You get that, I understand. When Scripture talks about peace, it's talking about peace because peace is so often absent from our lives and yet the heart longs for peace. And peace is what we need to go on living and to go on flourishing. The first place that we think about peace or the absence of peace is between ourselves and the outside world that we inhabit conflict in our neighborhoods, conflict with our co-workers. Struggles with our spouses, skirmishes with our parents, with our children. Unresolved tensions at family gatherings. Those dangling swords, those ticking time bombs that make us apprehensive as the holidays approach. Holidays should be filled with joy and peace, and yet for so many of us, they are fresh reminders of old wounds. They are flashpoints for renewed battles. Peace and conflict in our more intimate relationships, 
that might be where we first think of these matters of peace and not peace. But going out from there in concentric circles, we meet conflict and peace on social media. We meet conflict and peace in public society on the streets. We meet conflict and peace among groups and races. We meet conflict and peace in our nation and we meet conflict and peace between nations. So here's the truth. We are surrounded by conflict and yet our hearts long for peace. Now listen to what King David wrote when he was facing crazy conflict in his world. He prays, be merciful, O God. Because I am under attack. My enemies persecute me all of the time. All day long, my opponents attack me. There are so many who fight against me. When I am afraid, O Lord, I put my trust in you. Now, a few things to notice here. First, peace is to be desired, but conflict is real. There's no sense in sugarcoating this. Sometimes we just are under attack. And those attacks make us afraid. And fear is a funny thing because on the one hand, fear is necessary for survival. If you have no fear, you'll be dead pretty soon. But on the other hand, fear saps our strength for life by putting us in a kind of perpetual defense mode where more and more of our energy is consumed with just feeling safe. Anxiety, which is a a kind of Steady state, low intensity fear saps our strength and makes us less productive and makes us less joyful. When we're anxious, we're on edge, we're poised to protect ourselves, we're on a hair trigger, ready to strike or ready to run. And that state of constant preparedness for conflict makes it really hard to be constructive or to be creative. If I'm building armies and building walls, I'm not building cities or great works of art. Anxiety is a quality of life issue. And fear keeps us from being at peace. It keeps us from being fully human. What David does with his fear and his anxiety, and trust me, he had lots of reasons to be sensibly fearful and anxious. What David does with his fear and anxiety is he turns to God with it and he unloads it on God. He cries out to God. He prays to God. He asks for help. He tells God exactly how it is with him. Enemies and opponents, attacks and persecutions. David tells it like it is. And then he asks for God's mercy. And he trusts God. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us to do the same thing. Two hugely important verses from Philippians, verses that we probably all should commit to memory. They read like this, do not be anxious about anything. Wow, if I were the king of the world, or I'd just be the king of the United States, I would make this the case. There is so much anxiety out there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Trade your anxiety for peace. That's what you do when you 
pray to God about the trouble in your life. That's what you do when you pray to God about the conflict in your life. You trade your anxiety for peace. This Advent season, as we feel the pressure build, let our requests be made known to God. During this Advent season, when conflicts arise, may our requests be known to God. During this Advent season, when we struggle to find an oasis of peace in all of the clutter and the chaos, may our requests be known to God. And guess what? The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. That's my prayer for us this Advent season. I pray that we will be so at peace that it simply exceeds human reason. I pray that this Advent season will be a time of great joy and hope and love and peace for all of us. I pray that we will be at peace with ourselves, that we will not be plagued with fear and anxiety, and that we will be at peace with our world, in our families, at work, in the neighborhoods. May we have peace in every corner of our lives. That's my prayer for us this Advent season. But let me shift gears now. Because there is no peace in the world if we don't have peace with God. In fact, if we trace back to its roots all of the conflicts that we have in our world, we will discover that all of the fighting that we do with one another is the result of the fighting that we're doing with God. People who are at peace with God are also at peace with each other. So what does it mean to be at peace with God? Well, I guess we need to begin with what might be alarming news, namely that we are not by nature, by birth, at peace with God. We are not by nature, by birth, friends of God. I hope that isn't too upsetting to all of you because it's absolutely true. As people born in a fallen condition, we do not naturally love God and God's ways. What we naturally love is ourselves and our ways which are not God's ways. Romans chapter 5, which is perhaps the meatiest explanation of the gospel of how it is that we are reconciled to God, of how it is that we pass from the shadow of death into the assurance of eternal life. Romans chapter 5 has these words. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In the first verse, there in Romans 5.1, we hear the good news that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul immediately ties that good news to the death of Christ. 
Christ the God-man who dies for the ungodly. Christ who loves us and dies for us while we are still sinners. And that blood of Christ we hear in verse 9 is what justifies us and saves us from the wrath of God. God's wrath is poured out against the sin of the world and it is spent on his own son at Calvary. In an exchange that should never cease to amaze us, Christ receives our sins on the cross and we receive his righteousness in faith. And then in verse 10, Paul announces our former status. He names who it is that we were before we were justified and reconciled to God. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son. That's us. Enemies. That's our pre-redemptive state. Enemies of God. And may we never forget it. May we never forget who we were. So that we don't lose sight of how far we've come. Now imagine being the enemy of God. What a stupid and hopeless state that would be. The enemy of God. The one who is deluded enough to set himself against the Almighty. The one who's crazy enough. To oppose his own creator. The one who is demented enough to fight against everything good and right and beautiful and true. Because all of those things have come from God. That's a crazy, hopeless fool who's an enemy of God. But that's who I was. Before God turned me around. And that's who you are before God brought you to your senses. We are by nature enemies of God. Because we are by nature living for ourselves. Because we are by our very nature wanting to put ourselves into God's place and say that it's all about us. Because by nature we really do think the world revolves around us. And so we come into this world as enemies of God. We come into ourselves in the full force of our will and our reason as enemies of God. And as long as we are enemies with the person who has created this world, we will never have peace in this world. And so if we want things to turn around in our lives, if we want peace in this life, and if we want peace in the life to come, then we have to get right with God. We need to stop fighting God who gets to sit on the throne in our lives. We need to stop claiming the right to sit in the seat of judgment. We need to give up the pretense that we have it all figured out and that we know more than God because we don't. So how can we have peace with God? If you're tired of fighting with God, how can you find peace with God? I think a really good place to start is by taking God at his word. Let God be God and trust what he says, what he says about you, what he says about how you should live, what he says about himself, what he says about how we can be reconciled with him. Trust God and take him at his word because what we want down deep is to be reconciled to God. What we want down deep is for the struggle between ourselves and God to be over. What we want is to be friends with God. Not equals, of course, because we're never equal with God, but to be at least friends, to no longer be at odds, to no longer be fighting with Him. Scripture tells us that God is absolutely powerful, completely holy, perfectly just, totally loving. Scripture tells us that we are weak 
and vulnerable, that we are sinful through and through, that we're corrupt and self-deceived and selfish and hateful. It's not a very flattering picture that Scripture gives us of ourselves. But if you read the daily paper, if you read history, you know it's true. And if you want to be reconciled with God, you're just going to have to see yourself from God's point of view. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us has anything to brag about before God, even if we have plenty to brag about on Facebook. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of our sin is death. And that's because God hates sin. That's because sin corrupts and destroys the world that God loves. In a nutshell, that's our problem with God, and we need to have the guts to own that problem if we hope to be reconciled to God. The very first word of the gospel, the very first beginning of the preaching of Jesus is this one word. Do you remember what that word is? The very first word that Jesus preaches that's recorded for us in scripture. By the way, it's the very first word that the, uh, that John the baptizer also preached. We hear it in Matthew 4, 17, where we read, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The first word of the gospel is repent. There's no good news without repentance. You're not in Christ if you haven't repented. And the Apostle Peter takes up the very same theme when he was preaching in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter said, repent therefore and turn back. That your sins may be blotted out. That a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How sweet that sounds. All of us need a time of refreshing. I know that I do. I need it every day. So here we are on the second Sunday of Advent, that four-week season of preparation for the coming of Christmas. We've been talking about peace this morning. Some of you are already in Christ. You have been united to Christ by faith. Your sins are forgiven. You're heaven-bound. You're a friend of God now, no longer an enemy. For you, I pray that this season of preparation may be filled with peace. And if confusion and chaos threatens, I pray that you cry out to God. And that you throw all of that stuff onto Him. And you let Him bear those burdens. And that you know the peace that passes all understanding. And for those of you who are not yet in Christ... For those of you who haven't made that leap of faith, that step of repentance, that deliberate and reasonable act of turning to God who is calling you in his proclaimed word, I pray that God would continue to call you, that you wouldn't delay or waste any more time outside of the family of God. I pray that you'd be reconciled to God and know his peace. This Advent season, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the promise of peace. And we tell you the truth uh, when we tell you that our lives are not 
exactly overflowing with peace. That we have conflict, that we have anxiety, that we have fear. Lord, we pray that we might find our peace in you. We pray that you would bring peace to our homes and peace to our streets. That you'd bring peace to our hearts and to our lives. And we pray that you'd be honored and glorified through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.